Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of the words that we just sang and the truth of the words that we just read. As we are now living in the reality of Easter and not just what you did here in our church and churches all over the world last weekend, God, but what you did now almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. And we are together today to not only celebrate the fact that he rose from the dead, but he has the power to raise us like he did Lazarus. And then through the power and ministry of the local church, which is empowered by your spirit, God, we have the awesome opportunity to help people walk in freedom, to help take off the things that bind us, like sin and habits and unhealthiness in our lives. And so God, thank you that we get to continue that work of ministry, and we pray now that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to continue to do that. And we just believe that through the preaching of your word, God, that is the, the, one of the primary ways in which this happens as we gather together as the church and your word is preached, something supernatural happens in our lives as we collectively together have your word change us and transform us and then we move out together and, and encourage each other with those words. And so God, I pray that you would enable that to happen today. Enable me to preach this in a way that first and foremost is always honors you, glorifies you, and then too is helpful to us. So God, we thank you for this word and we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you weren't here for Easter at Revolution last week, then you missed out, all right? You missed out on the greatest party that is going in Jasper and in Canton, Georgia, and really online in all parts of the world. Um, you know, it's really been three years since we've had the option and the ability to gather like we did over Easter and to have as many people gather together like we did over Easter. Uh, if you're one of our givers around here, we send around quarterly or send out quarterly giving statements and we sent that out this week and then put it on social as well. We had over 6,000 people attend last weekend for Easter. Yeah, come on somebody. That is awesome. That is incredible, and it's not just that we had a lot of people, it's that we had an opportunity to impact a lot of people, and over 100 people made decisions to trust Christ. That's awesome as well, yeah. And so we just believe that God wants to say people's names and call them out of death, and that is our message, and that is what we're doing. And so the, the message that we preached last weekend on Easter was over those verses that you read before I came out here, and we're just gonna kind of pick up where we left off in John chapter 11 from Easter. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. In fact, we're gonna close out John chapter 11 this week, and then next week we're gonna celebrate Easter, and, and by taking, we don't call it Passover now, but we call it communion or the Lord's Supper, which is our way of celebrating exactly what we're gonna talk about today, that Jesus substituted his life for us. And so we're gonna continue in that message, and I think this message, and it just, just so happened to work out this way. I, I have a phrase, it's almost like there's a God. And it's because there is. 
It just so happened to work out this way that we you know, talked about Lazarus last week and, and how Jesus is the resurrection and he has the power to raise us from the dead. And now in this week, in the last part of John chapter 11, what's amazing to me, it's one of the probably best post-Easter messages I could have picked to preach on because of, again, just the theology that is built out in this text that helps us understand what Easter was. And so if it was your first time last weekend, maybe you were one of the ones that trusted Christ, maybe you're still checking it out, you're going to get an explanation today of what that was all about. And so let's jump in, John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 45, and then we'll work our way down to the end of it in verse 57. I believe it's 57. Yes, 57. All right. Verse 45, it says this. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. You know they did. They just saw a dead man come out. They were like, I don't know what's up with this cat, but if he can do that, I'm with him. And, and I would too. In fact, that's the whole reason I follow Jesus, because he has the power to raise people from the dead. If he didn't have that power, I ain't following him. But the most amazing thing about the verse is not that many people believed in him. Look at verse 46. But some of them, dead gum, some of them, <laughs> right? You always got some of them. I mean, even Jesus couldn't get all of them. He ra rose, rose, raised, whatever, what's the word, all right? Raised, yeah, okay. He raised a man from the dead, but some of them, eh, I don't know. Look at what they do. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Now, to be fair, assume the best, that's one of our cultural statements around here. We don't know if these that went to the Pharisees also believed in Jesus, but the best guess is contextually, that they are going to the Pharisees to tell them what Jesus had done because they're not really down with what Jesus had done. Because they either were freaked out about it, which I can understand that. I mean, one of the craziest verses in all the Bible was verse 44 that we read on the screen. It said, the man who had died came out. Again, I've been to a lot of funerals. I ain't been to any resurrections. And that would be weird. And I get it. It is weird. Let me say it like this. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. But the reason why it's unnatural is because it's supernatural. And we need to understand that. You know, we live in a world where we try to describe everything by sheerly natural means. Because... We wanna just explain cause and effect and we wanna take the supernatural out of it. But the most amazing thing about the gospel is how the supernatural overcomes the natural. And you can't deny that. You can't deny that the supernatural, supra just means above, beyond, natural. Jesus is a supernatural being. Yes, he is natural, he is man, but he is God. And he has the power of the super in his natural to say a name and a dead dude comes out. That's the essence of what we believe. And so the good news about that is you and I, therefore, are not bound by natural. We have a God that can overcome what we can see, what we can experience, 
He can do something that we can't. And so when you read this text, it's amazing. Again, many people believed in him, but some went and told the Pharisees because they're freaked out by it. They don't know what's going on. This guy, does he have the power to do this? Obviously he does, but where does he get it? And they thought, and they've said this several times already, that he got it from the devil, which Jesus has lovingly said to them, if I was the devil, why would I be casting out the devil? If I was the devil, why would I be overcoming what the devil has power in and debt? Why would I do that? I wouldn't be raising people, I'd be killing people. That's what the devil does. I wouldn't be casting demons out, I'd be casting them in. That's what the devil does. And so they're really wrestling with his power, which is again, what you and I have to wrestle with. Who is this guy? And look at verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, what are we to do for this man? Here's where the supernatural comes in performs many signs. Now listen to verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. We can't let that happen. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they are threatened by the power. This is why I don't think it was good those that went and talked to the Pharisees. I think they were tattletelling on Jesus. But a couple things I wanna point out here before we move on. First, it says, we don't know what to do with this guy because he performs many signs. He performs many signs. Now, I was already alluding to this when I was talking about Jesus has supernatural power because he's a supernatural being. And the most amazing thing about the gospel is not just that Jesus is God, is how in the world is Jesus God in the sense of how did he limit his omnipresence? How did he limit his, his omniscience? And how did, how did he do that? How is God? And again, it's, it's a supernatural thing, but what we know is Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's one person with two natures. And so they are wrestling with this fact that he has this supernatural power to perform signs. Now, again, I say this to you often, there's sermons within sermons, and this is kind of one of those sermons within sermons, just quickly about the role of miracles and signs, because we can get really confused about their roles. Now, there are many belief systems within the Christian church, and when I say many belief systems, I don't mean many belief systems and like multiple ways to get to God, because that would be unorthodox, but within orthodoxy, right belief, there are kind of differences in what people believe, and one of them is about the role of signs and wonders. Some people believe that after Jesus and his apostles, those miracles, signs, and wonders, and there's a very narrow definition of that, they wouldn't say a baby being born is a miracle because that's natural, it happens all the time. Although we would say, that's a miracle. That's fine to you know, think about it like that because it is amazing. But it's natural. It didn't take beyond natural means to make it happen. And so there is a sect that believes that the role of signs and wonders ceased. And here's why. Because the role of signs and wonders was to point to a greater truth beyond just the healings and the miracles which I do agree that it was to point to a greater truth. And here's the greater truth. If you just want some reference verses, I don't have them on the screen, you can write them down later. But Acts chapter one, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, he tells people 
that God attested to Jesus by, by saying, God said, this is my son, and he attested to him by allowing him to perform signs and wonders. So the signs and wonders, the miracles were there to point to a greater truth, which was this, God has the power over natural processes. Then later in Hebrews chapter two, you can write that reference down. The writer of Hebrews says, same thing, that they witnessed it, but then God witnessed to Jesus by signs and wonders. And then there's a group of people within Christian church that believes that it didn't end, that they're still going on today, which I tend to fall more into that camp, but with this caveat, and this is why I'm stressing this, the role of signs and wonders is always to prove a bigger point than what we are asking for in the signs and wonders. We might be asking for God to overcome natural processes, overcome sin, like someone has cancer and we want God to heal that person. And God can do that and God does do that. But, and I referenced this a little bit on Easter, we have to understand that his primary purpose is not just healing the person. His primary purpose is showing he has power. So, more often than not, when you see the most signs and miracles is when the gospel is moving into an area where people have never heard the name of Jesus. They have never seen the power of Jesus. And there are, believe it or not, people groups on the planet today who have never heard the name of Jesus. And so when missionaries go into those people groups and they are talking about the name of Jesus, they're like, who's this Jesus cat? They're like, well, at the name of Jesus, everything has to bow. Well, how is that? And so you'll start to see, and this is why I believe that they still happen, you'll start to see some supernatural, miraculous things happen. And then people are like, whoa. Because at the name of Jesus, right, demons flee. At the name of Jesus, he is the power above all powers. He has all authority. So the point of miracles is simply this, to show that he has power. Now, that will help us in understanding at times when we ask for them and they don't occur. And here's a better way to pray. Don't just pray that God would do this thing. Pray that God would do this thing so that those who don't believe would believe as a result of this thing. You see what I'm saying? That's the point. And that's what they're wrestling with. All these people are believing because he just did a thing. And what was the thing that he did? A dead man came out. That's a miracle, y'all. Don't normally happen. Natural processes, rigor mortis wins. So he overcame through a miracle. And then what they say is this, if we let him go on like this, everybody is going to believe in him. Which I love that phrase. I was talking to Pastor Scott this last week who does our operations here and he said that that's becoming one of his most favorite verses. I was like, yeah, I like that one too. If everyone, if he keeps going on like this, then everyone is going to believe. Oh, that the culture around us would say the same thing about us. If we keep going on like this, everyone's going to believe. I'll tie back into that at the end. Let's keep going, verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Why well, don't you tell us how you really feel, Caiaphas? You know nothing at all. 
that would translate as like, you don't know what you're talking about. Verse 50, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people. That's the title of today's message, for the people. Not that the whole nation should perish. Now listen to this, verse 51. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Now, this is what I was referring to earlier when I said this is a great message to follow up from Easter. Because here you have Caiaphas, who's a Jewish high priest. He wasn't saying this as a good thing and as the foundation of the Christian faith. He was saying this in this way. He was saying to his, his fellow leaders, guys, you don't understand. You keep worrying about if he keeps going on like this, then you know, everybody's gonna believe the Romans are gonna come. But what you don't understand is, why should we all die? Let's kill him. Because if we kill him, all of us are saved. If we substitute him, then no one else is going to believe and the Romans won't come and take away our position and our power because the Romans were in charge governmentally at that time, but they let the Jewish uh, leaders still have religious authority at the temple and things like that. And so they, he prophesies, guys, let's substitute Jesus for us. And then John tells us commentary about it he didn't say this of his own accord. He said they didn't know what they were talking about. But what he didn't know is he didn't fully know what he was talking about. And what I mean by that is this. He didn't understand the implications of what he was saying. He was prophesying, the Bible says. Now, here's what you need to understand about the role of prophecy. Again, depending upon your religious tradition, there's a lot of belief systems within, again, Orthodox Christianity. Some people are talking about prophecy from just sheerly a predictive standpoint, and I'm not saying it doesn't have a predictive place in the church, but the heart of prophecy is this, saying truth, announcing truth. And so Caiaphas just announced a truth but he didn't understand the truth that he was announcing. He was just thinking about it on his level, but God meant it at another level. Let me read to you what Pastor John Piper says about this, and I just think he says it so great. I'm just gonna read this to you. I don't have it on the screen, but this is what Piper says. He prophesied, speaking of Caiaphas, in other words, listen to this, God brought these words to his mind. God put them there, and God has a meaning. At one level, these are Caiaphas's words with his meaning, and at another level, these are God's words with his meaning. And the point I am making here is that these are the words that sealed Jesus's death. These words are Jesus' death warrant. Caiaphas wanted Jesus dead and out of the way, and so he spoke these words. Now listen to this. This might mess with you, but God wanted Jesus's dead. God wanted Jesus dead and risen and reigning forever. So he spoke these words. Caiaphas prophesied, that is, he spoke God's words. And God said, it is better for you. 
that one man should die for the people. Not the whole nation should perish. God said that. Better that Jesus die. Better. Better than any other plan in the universe. This is what God said. Now listen to this. Therefore, the death of Jesus was not mainly a tragic set of events which God turned for our good. It was a loving set of events which God planned for our good. God himself served the death warrant on his own son. He did not just predict it, he unleashed it. The words of prophecy tracked Jesus down into Gethsemane and put him under arrest. There was no escape. This was the word of God. It is better that he die. Now think about that. And this is why I'm stressing this. Caiaphas prophesied it and he meant it in his way and it was evil. But God said it and he meant it in his way and it was good. That is how God works through human choices. You need to understand that. The very similar story is Joseph in Genesis. Joseph's brother did evil to him. It was not good, it was evil. At the same time, God used those evil choices of his family for good. And that's what Joseph says in Genesis 50. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. So church, listen to me. The death of Jesus wasn't just Caiaphas's idea, wasn't just at the hands of the Romans through the influence of the Jews. It was at the hand of God. This is what Isaiah 53 says, if you know your Bible. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And then chapter 53, verse 10 says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So God spoke through Caiaphas' evil words to bring about his good plan to kill his own son. Why? If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Because substitution is at the center of the Christian faith. Substitution is at the center of the Christian faith. God substituted Jesus for us. Substitution is at the center. You need to understand that. This is the theology behind what happened at Easter. God brought Jesus into the world, put on flesh so that he could die and substitute himself for the people. That's the story of our faith. And here's what you need to know about that. What you need to know is God is so just that he has to punish sin. He cannot let sin go unpunished. But at the same time, God is so loving that he punished himself for it. You say, where do you get this, pastor? Well, you should always ask that. Don't believe what I say just because I say it. Look at other texts in the scriptures, which is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna show you where I get this. Look at verse, uh, I have this on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but Romans chapter three, verse 23 through 26. Paul says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 25, whom God put forward. 
as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The word propitiation is just a big theological word. It means payment. He atoned it. And God did that. God, watch this. I could say this. God substituted Jesus. God substituted Jesus for us. And then it goes on. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over. That's an important word. I'll refer to it later. Passed over, referring to the Passover. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. And here's what I was just saying, that he might be just, he has to punish sin, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, here's what's amazing about God. God has to punish it but he also paid for it. So God punished and paid for sin. That's at the center of our faith. Our message is this. God substituted Jesus for us. One man for the people. And Caiaphas didn't understand what he was saying. He didn't understand the deep implications of what he was saying. He's saying, listen, guys, you're all worried about this uprising happening, the Romans coming and dethroning us. I got an idea. Let's substitute Jesus, and then we're all saved. And God's like, aha, that's a great idea. Fancy you say that, Caiaphas, because that's what I'm doing. I am substituting my son for the people. That's at the center of our faith. That is what happened at Easter. In our place for our sin. That substitution. And if that were not great enough, John goes on in the commentary and he says this. He says, not just for this nation only, but so that he might gather all the children of God that are scattered abroad. And this is what we need to understand ultimately about the gospel. It comes from the Jews, which is why we love Jewish people. Our Savior was Jewish. It comes from the Jewish people, but it's not just for the Jewish people. This is what God told Abraham way back in Genesis 12, through your family, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the gospel. See, the word there for nation in John is literally the Greek word ethnos. It's where we get our English word, you wanna guess? Ethnicity, yes, ethnic. Which is always kind of funny to me. Sometimes you can refer to ethnic as, as people that are non-white. But at the end of the day, ethnic just means people group. And so the essence of the gospel is that all ethnicities now God is gathering from into one, his people. So the gospel is not for one group, it's for all groups. It's not for one ethnicity, it's for all ethnicities. That's the message of the gospel. Why? Because God has children in all ethnicities. God has his children. Think about that. Why did God substitute Jesus? Why did God substitute his son so that he could get all of his sons back? 
One son for all the sons. One son, and don't hear me say all the sons as if it's only for men, I mean mankind. One son for all the daughters. One son for all the people. And all the people come from all ethnicities on earth. In fact, if you're taking notes, here's my second point. God is, God, I get excited. God is gathering, I guess that's where I was going with gather, God, God. He's gathering, all right? He's God, so he's gathering. God is gathering from all peoples to make how many people? One people. God is gathering from all peoples to make one people. And this one people is not defined by their ethnicity, not defined by their family of origin, but now defined by being in the new family of Jesus called the people of God. That's the message of the gospel. God substituted his son to get all of his children back. And so that's not only, watch this, the message of the gospel, but that's the mission of the church. The mission of the church now is to take the message of substitution to all peoples. And just in case you're like, uh, I don't know, where are you getting that? <laughs> Let me give you a couple verses. John chapter 10, verse 16. We already did this. This is Jesus. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This fold is a reference to the Jewish fold, the Jewish people. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this ethnicity. But watch this. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be how many flocks? One. One flock. One flock. One church. One people from all peoples. That's the mission. And Jesus had that mission. And then before he left, he gave us that mission. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all what? I was seeing if you could get it. You're technically right, yes, nations. But what does the word nation mean? Ethnicity. Go make disciples of all ethnicities. Every nation. And not nation states, because we have nation states that don't exist today, that used to exist. We have nations that exist today that won't exist. It's peoples. People groups. That's the mission of the church. And then look at, just in case you're like, I still don't know. Let's go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And it's not Revelations. It's my big pet peeve. No S on it, bro. It's one. One Revelation. And look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. This is John, same guy who wrote the gospel of John, who said this. Worthy are you, talking about Jesus, to take the scroll and open to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. See, the book of Revelation prophesies what will happen. 
Now, everybody looks at that prophecy and they get into all kinds of different theories about what will happen. Well, what about this? What about that? What about the rapture? What about the Jewish people? What about the Christian people? And listen, I don't have time to get into all of that. There are particulars to it and we do have a particular stance here at the church. But here's the main thing that you need to know. What the book of Revelation prophesies is that his mission will be accomplished. That's what it prophesies. He will come back and he will come back and there will be his people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Which always amazes me when people wanna geek out on theology. They're like, well, I think about, you start getting into rapture and pre-trib and post-trib and mid-trib and all-trib and whatever trip, right? You, people get into all that stuff and that's fine. I'm not saying don't get into all that stuff. But a lot of times, people won't do the one thing that'll bring about the end, which is talk about Jesus to people who don't know him. Which is what I want you to hear me say. We can have differences of opinions about how it's all gonna go down, and that's fine, we can love each other. But what we should agree upon is the message and the mission. The message is substitution. The mission is take that message to all peoples. That's the message and the mission. That's what we should focus on, not when Jesus is returning at this certain time in this certain place because of what Russia and China are doing. My goodness. People want to geek out on all that stuff. And again, that's fine. I love theology, and we will talk through what I think the end times events will be. But here's all you need to know. Two things. It's going to get worse, and he's coming back. That's what you need to know. Which you're, you're clapping, and I just said it's going to get worse. You're like, yeah, that's right. That is right. <laughs> it's going to get worse. And the primary metaphor that I like that Paul uses in Romans chapter 8 is the metaphor of childbirth. Those of you ladies that have given birth, you understand it only gets worse, and then they come. <laughs> am I right or am I right? It gets worse. The pain increases. Your weight increases. You're carrying around bowling balls. And then it comes. And when the child comes, you cry and it's awesome and the pain was all worth it. So you say. <laughs> that is the metaphor. But, but here's why I'm, I'm, I'm saying this. We can disagree about the particulars of that. We can disagree about the role of the church, the Jewish people, but here's what you need to understand. Clearly what I believe the Bible is teaching is there's not two people. And there's not two plans. And there's not two ways to Jesus. There's one people, there's one plan, and there's one way. And that's through Jesus. For Jewish people, and Gentile people. God had one plan to reconcile in himself all peoples. And it's important to highlight the role of the Jewish people. But it's important to understand that God does not have a separate salvation plan for the Jewish people. It's one plan, one people, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is a Jewish Messiah but he is a Jewish Messiah that is for all ethnicities. That's what is going on here. Don't miss that. Which is why we call here at Revolution Church, 
when we come together like this, we call them gatherings. We don't call them services. We used to, and people will still say that. What time is this service? That's fine. But it's a gathering. Why? Because we wanted to put in our process what God is doing. God is gathering people. And we wanted to send a message as a church that we will not come off this message and we will not come off this mission. We will not come off this message. God substituted Jesus. And there's a lot of people that don't believe that anymore. There's a lot of people like, well, you keep talking about Jesus and death and blood and eating his body. That's weird. Let's just love our neighbor. Let's just love poor people. There's a lot of churches today that have moved into that direction and they have walked away from the message. And I want you to hear me say, as long as I'm here and leading this church, we will never come off that message. And I'm glad you're clapping because that means we will never come off the mission either. The mission of telling people this message which is why straight up, and I want you to know this, we ask you to serve. We ask you to serve. We ask you to give. We ask you to sacrifice straight up. No bones about it. If you wanna be a part of a church that is on mission, that is living life on mission, this is your church. If you don't want to be a part of a church that isn't on mission, that just is here to have a little fun and we make you laugh and you like to see people and get dressed up and take a photo a couple times a year, this ain't the church. We're glad you're here. You're welcome. We want you here, but we want to move you into mission. We want to move you, which is why we have a whole discipleship process. We want to move you into this mission. Why? Because here's what I know. I just read it to you out of the book of Revelation. God is going to make it happen. It's not a question of if it's going to happen. It's just a question of are we going to be a part of it happening? And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Because if I'm a part of what God's doing in the world, then I'll be a part of what God's doing after this world. And I'm not saying that being on mission is required to be saved. Don't hear me say that. Because the message is substitution, him in our place for our sin. That's how we're saved. But when you hear the message and you are overwhelmed with the fact that he substituted himself for you, I just happen to believe that you'll get so excited about that message that mission will happen naturally. It'll happen naturally. You're like, man, I just want more people to know. I want more people to know that God substituted himself for them. That's the message. That's the mission. Last couple of verses, verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. That's what God meant by the prophecy. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, which is just north of Jerusalem. And there he stayed with his disciples. Verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. That's coming. Jesus is going to be killed on Passover. The huge significance to that, which is why, again, we reference, this is what I was saying earlier, we take communion now. Communion is Passover. 
It is us celebrating in the same way that God substituted a lamb for the nation of Israel in Egypt. He substituted a lamb for the peoples of God now. That's Passover. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as he stood in the temple, what do you think that he will come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Now one word as we wrap this up. You need to understand what I said earlier when I said it's only going to get worse. Thank God it has not been our experience in Pickens County and Cherokee County yet that our counties love our church. They love our church because we want to love and serve our counties. We want to love and serve our law enforcement, our schools, everything that makes up a good place to live. But there are places on the planet today where the government does not like the church. They don't. And they try to stamp out. It's already happening here in the U.S. And the reason why I'm telling you that is, again, it's only going to get worse. But then the birth will be worth it. But here's the mentality that we want to live by. We want to live by the mentality that says this. If those people keep doing what they're doing, everyone's going to believe. Now, again, thank goodness that right now our city governments, our county governments isn't saying that about us. But you know what government is saying that about us? The government of the evil one. See, Paul said in Ephesians 6, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and powers in the unseen realm. And I want to be a part of a church that the devil's sitting around with his demons and he's not in hell, he's here on earth, he's not in charge in hell, he will be thrown in hell. Hell was made for him and his demons, he will be punished there, but he's not there now, he's here. Which is what makes Christianity scary, like the ghost stories are real. This is why, you know, we have children's church, they don't get into that yet. What? Yeah. But don't you want to be a part of a church where the devil huddles around his people? And he's like, dude, if we let Revolution Church keep going on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. If we let them keep doing that, everybody's going to believe. What do we got to do to stop them? Which is why I've joked around here. Every time we try to do something great, all hell breaks loose. But that's a sign we're going the right direction. And so let me ask you this question. I'm talking about the church corporately, but the church is the gathering of the people of God. So let me ask you this question. This is what I'm gonna end with. Can we say of you individually, would the devil and his demons say it of you individually, if we let her keep going on like this, everyone will believe. If we let him Keep going on like this. Everyone will believe. My friends, 
The message is substitution. The the mission is taking that message. And when you take that message, you are dangerous to the devil. And I want to be dangerous to the devil. I want us to be dangerous to the devil. Why? Because I want everyone to believe in him. And that's what I want for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this message. That the message of Easter is that you substituted Jesus. You substituted Jesus for us. At the center of our faith is substitution. And God, there are people here today or watching or listening online that have never heard that message. The good news of the gospel is this, that though they were a sinner, Christ died for them to substitute his righteousness and to take on their sin. And so God, I pray right now through that message, you would save somebody, you would say their name and call them out. No one looking around or talking here as we close. But if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never heard him call your name, you've never heard the good news that he substituted himself for you, then right now, you can respond in faith and be saved. No one looking around or talking, if you want to pray and trust Jesus, you can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me enough that you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I believe that you're a just God and you had to punish sin, but that you're a loving God and you chose to punish Jesus for my sin. And so I ask you to take my sin, forgive me, give me the righteousness of Christ, make me alive. I believe that he died and he rose again. Again, no one looking around or talking. If you just prayed to trust Jesus, then very simply, would you just do one thing for me? You don't have to come front, come down front because baptism is your public profession. But if you just trusted Christ, we want to know that. So would you just lift your hand up if you prayed to trust Christ today? Just lift it up. We got men and women going to walk around, give you a gift. And that's why we want you to do that. So thank you. Just, it's the best day of your life, man. God just substituted himself for you. In a moment, you'll have an opportunity to give us your information and tell us about who you are. But then those of us who've trusted Christ or just trusted Christ, I want to remind you that not only is this our message, but we have a mission. And that mission is to take this message to every ethnic group on the planet. This is why we care about evangelism. This is why we care about church planting. This is why we care about taking the gospel because that's the greatest mission going and it will not fail no matter how hard it gets. And so I just want to encourage you. I don't know what your next step into that mission is. Maybe it's joining our church and joining in on the mission, joining a team, helping serve to accomplish that mission. Over 400 people served to make Easter happen. Getting involved in the discipleship process, whatever that means, so that you can learn how to walk in freedom. God, I pray that you would 
not only empower us to continue to say this message, God, but empower us to live on mission. Living on mission, God, looks so different in so many ways. Yes, it's inviting people to church, but that's not all it is. It's loving our neighbors. It's doing good deeds and then telling people about Christ. And so, God, I pray that we would always be a church that's centered around these two things, Jesus and that message and taking that message to people. We always want to be about loving Jesus and growing people. And we ask you to bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.